Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. This is Marjorie Pabst. Uh, welcome to a, another uh, show on uh, Caregiver Speak. And uh, we are so delighted that you're all here today. Uh, we have two very special guests, and um, I'm eager to introduce them to you. Caregiver Speak's purpose is to provide tips and tools and perspectives uh, from caregivers for caregivers. And our two guests certainly fill that bill. As always, our show is archived. So if you can't listen to the whole show today or you find it incredibly useful and you want a friend to be able to hear it, uh, it will be archived on both eCareDiary.com and on my website, MyCaregivingCoach.com. As always, we encourage you to give us a call if you have any questions at 347-857-3399. And now to our guests. Heather Von St. James is an eight-year mesothelioma cancer survivor, and she continues to provide unending inspiration to mesothelioma victims around the globe. She carries out her mission to be a beacon of hope for those afflicted with the disease by sharing her story of faith, love, courage, both as a keynote speaker at conferences and through social media. She's also the mother of eight-year-old Lily Rose. Don't you love that name? It's just such a sweet, wonderful name. Cameron Von St. James is her husband. He is a survivor advocate for the Mesothelioma Cancer Alliance, and he is father to Lily Rose. When he was faced with the very real possibility of raising Lily Rose on his own, he fought alongside Heather, and um, he became a dual caregiver. And in many ways, he helped Heather survive and Lily Rose thrive. Cameron graduated with honors and a Bachelor of Science degree in Information Technology from Globe University and from the Minnesota School of Business. He works at U.S. Bank as a network analyst. But he identifies his most important job as being an advocate for mesothelioma sufferers and for sharing his caregiving story with Heather. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank glad, you. Glad to be here today. And I think on the eCare Diary website today, you all will see a wonderfully beautiful picture of Cameron, Heather, and Lily Rose. So uh, please check it out. Let's let's begin with um, what is mesothelioma for those listening who may not know. Mesothelioma, or I call it mesothelioma, it's kind of like vase uh-huh. vase, whatever you want to say. It right, is, <laughs> tomato yeah. and tomato, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a cancer of the lining of the organs. There's basically three types. Um, I had pleural, which was the lining of my lung, and there's peritoneal, which is the abdominal lining, and then there's pericardial, which is the heart. Um, the heart one is the most rare, um, pleural being the most common, and uh, peritoneal somewhere in the middle. So and it's, it's a cancer that affects the lining of organs, and it's almost always caused by asbestos exposure. 
So you have to be exposed to asbestos, and then, you know, there's a latency period of 10 to 50 years, and after all those years, the person ends up being sick um, with the mesothelioma or cancer of the lining of the organs. So that, in a nutshell, is what it is. Tell us about those circumstances that you were living in uh, up until the day you were diagnosed and then the day of diagnosis uh, with mesothelioma and um, and your circumstances at the time. Kind of give us a little history, Heather. Well, I had just had a baby in August. Um, Lily was born by C-section, but she was healthy and wonderful and everything was fine. She was a breach, so we ended up having an emergency C-section, but other than that, Everything was perfect. I uh, was thrilled, and we were both just like, wow, we're, we're parents. This is it. We waited seven years yeah. before yeah. having a baby. We didn't want to rush into anything. So we, we were really excited and, and happy to welcome her. And then after the birth, about a month afterwards, I just started feeling really tired. I was losing weight really fast, but I was breastfeeding. So I thought, well, you know, they say you lose weight when you breastfeed. So I figured it was just, you know, one of the things, the perks of of being a breastfeeding mom. And unfortunately, I had to go back to work four weeks after a C-section because of the job that I had. They didn't want me taking too much time off. I did hair. And they're like, well, you'll lose all your clients if you take too much time off. So I went back to work on a part-time basis. And I was having trouble breathing. And I was losing weight I was pale, you know, just not feeling really good. And finally what tipped me off, it was towards the end of uh, October, I was walking up the stairs. I went downstairs. I put Lily in the swing and went down to our basement to get laundry. And I had to stop halfway up the stairs. Um, Couldn't breathe. It's like, wow, I must have a cold or something, you know. And then I got to the top of the stairs and I had to stop again and catch my breath. I was literally gasping for air. And... Mm had to bend over to catch my breath. I was like, wow, this is, you know, and I was really tired. And I sat down on the couch and looked at Lily, and then I passed out. And I don't remember anything for a couple hours. I woke up. You know, thank God she was safe in her swing. And I woke up to her cooing, and I was like, well, huh, what's going on? And that was like, whoa, there's something seriously wrong with me. I needed to go to the doctor. So I immediately made an appointment with my doctor, and after a series of tests, x-rays and scans and stuff, that's when they found out that I had mesothelioma. Mm. So, yeah, it was it was pretty shocking. Uh, yes. And and so you um, have told me that you were exposed to asbestos um, growing up. Yes. My dad did construction when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the 70s, um, it, they knew what it was doing, but they didn't regulate it up until um, after 1978. And my dad did a lot of deconstruction, like demolition-type work, tearing apart boilers, doing um, mop-up and sweep-up from drywall. And asbestos was used a lot in taping mud, in drywall Mm. mud, and in insulation around boilers and that sort of stuff. So there was his coat. He would come home from work, and his coat would be, like, gray and dusty. Mm-hmm. And but and he would always hang it in the utility room, which was like the mud room, and yeah. that's the place we went in and out of the house. 
So I would put his coat on to go feed my rabbits because, God forbid, I got my coat dirty, you know, when oh, I was outside playing with my yeah, rabbits. Exactly. Oh, so my. I would wear his coat or I would put his coat on if I wanted to go get the mail or, or I'd put on his big boots, which were gray and dusty, too. I remember they were just caked with dust. And I would put mm-hmm. his boots on and trudge across the street to go get the mail. And, and so we're pretty sure, you know, that that's where the exposure came from because of I would always wear his coat. So, and thankfully, I will say that that my dad is free of of mesothelioma, so he never contacted it. I was about ready to ask if um, if he ever did. So that's that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, that. that's 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 what happens, though, is that you'll have two people that will work with it side by side. One will get sick, and their family will get sick, and the other person, everything will be fine. So mm-hmm. it's that's you know, there's no guarantee. Yes. Yes. Well, we are delighted that you are here with us and after eight years of uh, being free of this disease. And I know, Cameron, you are especially happy about that. And you were, I know, immediately cast in the role of the dual caregiver uh, for Lily Rose and for Heather. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, I know. In, in anyway. two minutes, tell us about that. Well, that is pretty pretty tough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, two life changing events back to back. Like Heather yeah. said, we had uh, this really long, you know, this plan, this you know, five year, seven year plan of how to get everything in, in our lives in, in in order and in the right place to start a family. And three months later, Heather's diagnosed with. Mesothelioma. It was like, uh, where do you begin? Um, yeah. It uh, it really shook my world. I, I had a, a a difficult time, and that would be being generous. I, I had a really difficult time <laughs> taking taking the news, and uh, it, it took me a while to, to to really come to terms with it. And I, I lashed out with anger and and, and frustration. And he's still nicknamed the man who swore at the hospital. <laughs> Where I had my uh, surgery at, they still he, refer to him as the man who swore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My, the, the anger got the best of me for a while, and then I realized that it, it, it wasn't doing any good. It pushed the people away from me that were trying to help. It, it alienated myself, and honestly, it blinded my ability to think clearly and and uh, to, to to solve you know problems or you know every day those little sequence of events that come up if the anger was in the way I couldn't make the simple decisions and finally I went all right you know this is going to be what it's going to be and I'm going to have to deal with it so it's time to you know pick myself up and start moving forward and I don't have to you know necessarily like what the doctors say but I just would remind myself that it was one day at a time you know I still had some degree of influence and choice and Granted, sometimes it wasn't the choices that I wanted, but, you, you, you know, you just work forward. You just, you know, there was a time mm-hmm. there was appointment to appointment. You would just live life, and and uh, that and the um, the little tasks and skills, you get really quick at time management and, and, and stress management and prioritizing tasks when you're like, okay, I've got a wife with cancer and a little baby and all the stuff I have to do, plus, okay, <laughs> where's right. my priority list? What can I get done? And um, mm-hmm. you know, who, who can I call on to help me out? And, yeah, yeah you, you, you start to figure yes. those skills out really quick. Yes. But, you know, you're mentioning anger. Is, uh, that's how I felt as a caregiver uh, when it all first happened with my husband. 
And uh, you do. You lash out, and you're and not a particularly nice person. I remember thinking, well, this isn't who I am. I mean, I was shocked at my own self. And so I'm sure for those of us, those of you listening in today to this show, you can really relate to what Cameron is saying about anger and and then realizing that um, one has to start curbing that anger. So I appreciate your being so honest about that, Cameron, uh, for, for all of us who are, are listening today. So as you as you got into the plan, you got you know you got yourself organized, and I think that is the next piece, isn't it? Is getting organized. What tips and insights additionally do you have for people listening in today? Oh well, the the two big ones that I tell everybody, or at least a couple, would be if anybody offers help, take them up on it. That's yes. the, the very first thing you can do. If somebody says, "How can I help?" Yeah, think of a way. And part of that helps if you write down tasks, whether you're using a notebook, index cards, some form of, you know, computer or electronic, just to write down all the stuff you have to do, you know. And then if somebody says, hey, you need any help, you can be, oh, yeah, uh, can you pick up dry cleaning? Can you go to the grocery store? Can you, you know, pull something off your lift and and, and have them do it? And, And the other thing about accepting help is it reminds you that you have a safety net. There's people that care about you. And when you accept help from them, it just kind of reminds, okay, reminds you, wait a minute, you know, I I have other resources, and I have people that are there for me, um, and and that makes a really big difference. And I think something that's also forgotten an awful lot is you have to take care of the caregiver. You can never let your own personal health, safety, or well-being get sidelined to the point where you're so ragged, you haven't eaten, you haven't slept, and... At that point, you can't make clear decisions, and you're really not a help to anybody. You have to you know, make sure that you eat right, you sleep right, you take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. Yes, yes. So keep a list and make sure that you're on that list, right, Cameron? Yeah. <laughs> your needs are on that list as well. well yes. Yeah. yeah, you can't yep, you can't ignore yourself. I mean, you can you can run yourself ragged for, a, you know, for a little while and it it varies with everybody on how far they can push themselves, but we all have limits and if you try playing that caregiver role and completely neg- ignore your own needs, yeah. You're not going to make it very long. And well, then, you, you end up resenting the person you're caring for. You and, know, and, and everyone and, else. Yeah, you know, a couple yeah. years after my surgery and after my treatments, Karen wanted to take, I said after my surgery, when we get through this, we're going to buy a motorcycle. And so he started <laughs> researching motorcycles right away, you know, something to take his mind off, whatever, something to do. And as soon as we were able, he went out and he bought the most beautiful silver Honda Goldwing. And he bought it specifically because it's very comfortable for me to ride on as well. So he he put a lot of thought into this. And then um, within a couple years, he's like, you know what, I really want to take a motorcycle trip. I'm like, go. So for three weeks, he went on his motorcycle walkabout and took off from Minnesota and drove out to the West Coast, um, out to Portland and, and all over, and took three weeks of vacation just for him. And after being up to his ears in schoolwork and taking care of me and taking care of Lily, it was a much-needed respite for him. And I encouraged him. I'm like, go, go, we'll be fine. I've got lots of support yeah. here. You can, you know, go. Have, you know, and I really did encourage him to take yeah. care of himself and and watch out for himself because I didn't want him being, you know, resentful to me or, 
not being any good because he needed to be good for Lily more so than me. You know, she was so little at the time. So exactly. You know, it is really important yes. that that the caregiver does take care of themselves. Yep. Let me ask you a question, and I'm I'm just going to throw this one at you. Um, what if you, ha- as a caregiver, you have a patient who, unlike Heather, doesn't encourage you to go and take care of yourself? I know there are probably caregivers listening who think, well, you know, my loved one doesn't always encourage me to go to a movie or go take care of myself. I'm just wondering what kind of a tip or tool we might give for caregiver to caregivers to uh, say to encourage their loved one maybe drop the hint if you will yeah. and try to get them into your um into where you're living and needing uh some respite well what i see happen a lot is a caregiver tends to turn mm-hmm. into not a spouse but a parent for yeah. the the yeah. sick person and to me mm-hmm. that is a slow spiral into, you know, a bad, bad situation for a married couple Um, because the, you know, caregiver tends to do everything for, you know, and and, and by everything I mean everything and take care of the doctor's appointments for, for this person. And I think it's giving back power to the person who is ill. Um, right now, unfortunately, my dad is going through some stuff. He had back surgery and has been having um, some issues with that. But my dad takes care of all of his doctor's appointments and stuff like that, so my mom doesn't. So my mom is once again mm-hmm. a caregiver. And Cameron really just gave all that to me, too. He was mm-hmm. like, here, you know, you're in charge of your life. You take care of your doctor's appointments. Because he didn't need to do that for me. And he really uh-huh. encouraged me to do stuff on my own. And right. some people might see that as not a good thing. But really, when we go to Boston, I don't need him to sit in the office and wait for me. I can call mm-hmm. him, and plus it's extra money to spend on a plane ticket that we didn't have. And, yeah. you know, plus we had, you know, he has to stay here for Lily. So right. it's it's encouraging, I think, open lines of communication by saying, you know what, I really need some time to go do this and be a little normal mm-hmm. and, I, and mm-hmm. I think it's just communicating and having those open lines of communication yeah. is is probably and going to be the number one thing i love your idea heather of uh, the more it's almost the more um individual responsibility that you put on your loved one your patient then that person will feel uh, what i hear you saying is more responsible more empowered and will give it back to you it will, yeah. feel, will hopefully, uh, maybe not in all cases, but hopefully there is a reciprocity there uh, with giving back then to the caregiver. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to depend on him to make all my doctor's appointments for me. Well, yeah, we've, we, we've seen so, couples where one of them, the, the caregiver, will completely smother the patient, and you, you look and say, wait, 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 they're still... <laughs> You know, this is their life. They, you know, they 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 have a stake in this. They don't need somebody yeah. to make every single decision for them. You know, they're not a spectator. Exactly. They need to be a participant. And and um, you know, the other thing is, families can be challenging. Um, years mm-hmm. ago, when my father went into a nursing home, dealing with my sisters was a lot more difficult than, with my father than it was dealing with my family with my wife. And uh, you know, everybody comes in and they think they've got an idea of what's right, and you can't 
you can't remove the patient. They they need to have a voice. They need to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, they need to realize that it might not just be a single person that's a caregiver. Ideally, it would be a whole community or a big family of individuals mm-hmm. all there to help, you know, take care of and, and care and support and provide that safety net. But, you know, sometimes it's just a little more challenging to get everybody on that same page where you realize that, you know, the caregiver needs to take com- some time for themselves so that yes. they can provide that quality of care that the patient's mm-hmm. going to, you know, want and demand and, and, and really yeah. deserves. Yeah, so the patient is participant, maybe a, a key message for today. So so do you guys see differences in how men and women care for uh, their spouses and loved ones? Uh, have you observed some traits in the male oh, and then the female? We're, we're, uh, we're laughing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> women women tend to mother. Women tend to take over and mother and turn into, like I said, instead of the spouse, they turn into the parent. And they yeah. take over everything, and the men tend to just sit back and let it happen. This is a generalization. This is not everybody, mind you, um, but I do see it more often than not. Um, women tend to be a little more you know, headstrong in, in taking care of themselves and being a more active participant in their care. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the men the men patients can be absolute babies from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's it's, but that's like I said, a generalization. I've also seen it reversed, yeah. where sure. you know the the wife tends to not be able to do anything, and the husband thinks you know he's got to run the show. So I run into yeah. both. But the yeah. the healthiest relationships I've seen are you know when they when they are a team. And I've got a friend in Texas who unfortunately did lose her husband to mesothelioma. They were so amazing. They were such a team. She encouraged him. She stood by him, let him make the decisions for his care and supported him fully in it. But she also kept a notebook of everything and, and you know, and in the way she handled everything was beautifully. And she, and I, to this day, I tell her uh, she's just amazing. And she has a lot of wisdom um, to give other caregivers because of how she handled everything. She wasn't a mother. She was definitely a partner in his care. And that, to me, is, is what it's all about, is, is being a partner. And we had Lily, you know, to, to care for. So we had to be partners in, in parenting, even though I was sick. But mm-hmm. that also spilled over into, you know, my healing from the treatments and everything. So I, I couldn't have done it without him. So. Of course, yeah. Do a spiritual values guide you guys? I'm, this is a leading question because I know they do. So, um, tell us about your spirituality, how that has helped guide you through all of this. It's a huge part of of what you know. I my belief system is is yeah. I couldn't have done it without my faith. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've never been one to like blame God. Like, you know, why me, why me? It's just like, well, okay, why not me? And obviously this happened for a reason. And, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of hate it when that happens, when people say, oh, this mm-hmm. all happened for a reason, blah, blah. But I'm trying to make the best of a bad situation. And yeah. and by putting faith in something higher than me, something bigger than me, and, and just praying out, and sometimes it was literally, God, get me through the next 60 seconds. Please, God, if I get through the next 60 seconds, and that gave me incredible strength and peace. And reading scriptures gave me a lot of peace in times mm-hmm. when I was scared. And it still does to this day. 
Um, yeah. You know, I'll pick up the Bible and, and just read. And, and the promises in the Bible really help calm my yeah. anxieties and calm my fears. And I'm a work in progress, you know. I, <laughs> As we I, uh, all are. Yeah, you know, well. and I have a, you know, our church was a huge help and still is. And, you know, great friends that I met through there. And so I'm I'm very thankful for, for my church family and, and my spirituality because it really is a good cornerstone of, mm-hmm. I think, my healing. And my mom and dad, you know, are incredibly spiritually sound, and my mom is like my guidepost. And her prayers and, and their belief and their trust in God was really a, a beacon for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the prayers that they said and, and their belief um, really strengthened mine as well. Yeah. So, I think you both are absolute models of I I can't remember the minister who mentioned this to me, but um, this person said, you know, when you can get from why has this happened to me to the what, what does this mean for my life? What does illness mean for my loved one or me as a caregiver or the person who's ill? If you can get to that stage, what does it mean for my life? What is What does this mean I need to do with this knowledge and learning and challenge? Then, you know, you're on the road to... Uh, more wonderful things, which you both are. I know you both continue to work with and care for those afflicted with mesothelioma and um, all over the world. Yeah, you know, we, we try. We we like to, you know, and I do. I get I get emails from people, Turkey, Brazil, Portugal, Australia. We've got a whole group of friends in Australia and England, and it's really a global community. It's humbling. And, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to get a message from somebody in Portugal saying, my father just had his surgery and he's healing. Thank you for your story. It helped us. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I just I sit there and cry, and I show Cameron, and he's like, what are you crying about now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so I'm like, look at this letter. And he's like, oh, oh. stop crying. You know? How, how can uh, our listeners find out about uh, about you two and about this disease? Do you have a website you'd like to give our listeners today? Yeah, we we blog for mesothelioma dot com at the Mesothelioma mm-hmm. Cancer Alliance, so they can log on to mesothelioma dot com and or just Google Heather von St James or Cameron von St James. Uh, we both blog for the Huffington Post. And um, we guest blog on a whole bunch of other blogs, you know, throughout the world. So uh, basically Google our names would be the best way, or mesothelioma.com is, is okay. where to find us. So, And I'm on Facebook oh. and Twitter, and, and um, so find me on Facebook, find Cameron on Facebook. And uh, we're always open to, you know, always, always love to talk to people and, and help people out, no matter what your situation. So it doesn't have to be a mesothelioma diagnosis. So caregiving is caregiving, and yes, being a is. patient is being a patient. It doesn't matter the diagnosis. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, I know that you both are approaching an incredible annual celebration this Saturday because Heather is uh, approaching your eight your eight, eighth anniversary, right, of being yep. uh, cancer-free? Yep. Well, why don't you two tell us about what you do at this annual celebration? We've got a couple minutes, so Go ahead, tell Cameron. us about that. Uh, are you sure? Now you bought it on me. Uh, <laughs> when, when, uh, when Heather, when we were in, in the hospital in Boston, 
uh, to kind of keep humor in, in, uh, in, you know, as we were going through this real scary uncertain time. Her, uh, Heather's surgery was February 2nd, 2006, and she had um, humorously nicknamed her tumor Puxitani Phil in honor of the groundhog. And uh, we, Heather's sister and I, we kind of ran with this, and we you know, labeled that day Lung Leaving Day, because that was the day Heather was going to lo- lose her lung. And, and my uh, lung left. Yep. Yep, and mm-hmm. so we decided rather than have this, you know, become something that would would tear us down and and not be something to celebrate, we decided that we would make that a family holiday and we would celebrate life on that day. And Lung Leaving Day would be a day of celebrating life. And and kind of on the spur of the moment, we came up with a couple, you know, goofy traditions. And I, you know, had said, okay, well, one of the things we're going to do is we'll write all of our fears on a plate and we'll smash it in a bonfire in the backyard and we'll invite all of our friends over and we'll have them do the same and we'll celebrate life. We will not let any of our fears or bad emotions or anything conquer us and yep we live in minnesota and it's february and it gets cold but we figured the heck with it you know we'd we'd still move forward and and, uh create this celebration and and this year we're we're this saturday we'll be celebrating the eighth anniversary of long leaving day um last year we even did a a webcast and and uh, had a couple cameras set up for our friends across the globe so they could uh you know celebrate and and we've even had for years people from uh across the globe would uh write us a letter or send us you know an email saying hey you know for a loved one or for a friend or for me can you write this on a plate and smash this into the fire for me and and so we do it as a as a celebration of life to remember what what's important and what matters and family and friends and spirituality and and to conquer our fears and move forward yeah, that that is just so terrific. Well, you'll hear from me on Saturday. Oh, and, right. well, uh, wonderful. We we have and, a, a web page too, a lung leaving day web page set up through mesothelioma dot com, where okay, you can actually great. go online on your computer and break a virtual plate. You can write your fears on a virtual plate and break the virtual plate. A and, wonderful uh, message for all of yeah. us here. I have to stop so. us there. I'm so sorry. Okay. I've got a. This we could go on for quite some time. I know this is, but I love that tradition. We encourage our listeners to do to celebrate their their successes. So, I want to thank you so much for coming on today, um, Heather and Cameron. Um, wish you well. We'll stay in touch. All of you out there, please do go to their websites. And thank you all for listening. This is Marjorie Pabst. Remember, this show will be archived. And uh, thanks again. Thank you and for good having afternoon. Us. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye.